rain, tire strategies, and pure chaos several times throughout the day led to an eventful 2023 Dutch GP. Jeremiah, what was your favorite part of the weekend? My favorite part of the entire weekend? Probably just the rain in general and how much chaos it caused for the race. But not just the race, the whole weekend. We'll touch on that. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, this is the 2023 Dutch GP. We're going to do some weekend observations. We're going to talk about our classic turn one recap. And then we're going to go into some key moments that you might have missed throughout the, uh, the race. Welcome to Turn One, a Formula One podcast. and Jeremiah. Welcome to Turn One's recap of the 2023 Dutch Grand Prix. We're your host, Thomas. And Jeremiah. All right. Let's do a little look back at some of the events that led up to race day. I know Jeremiah has some strong topics, especially on one driver that he'll touch on throughout this recap. But Jeremiah, walk me through the weekend pre-race day. Pre-race day, we'll touch on practices. P1, I mean, honestly, all three practice sessions, Williams looked amazing. I don't know what it was. This track just suited their car phenomenally. They did awesome in practice. Fernando Alonso looked good all practice sessions too, which was great to see because he hasn't been that strong in the past couple races. It seems like Aston Martin's been falling behind. Whatever they did, it worked. P2 was a little scary. We saw Oscar Piastri wreck and then Danny Ricardo come flying around that exact same corner. And he pretty much... I mean, he had a decision to make. It was either hit Oscar Piastri or hit the wall. And so, of course, you don't want to injure another driver. So he dumps it. Unfortunately, it yanks the steering wheel, which causes it to yank his hand, breaking his hand. And so now Liam Lawson fills in for him for the race. I think that that shows just kind of real quick how these drivers, how they react to things in such amount of time. In like less than a half a second, he had to decide, am I hitting this other driver? Am I hitting the wall? And by deciding to hit the wall, he then took his ability to react away from that. And he had his hands on the wheel when he went into the wall. And as it whipped around, it broke his wrist. Yeah. And for those that don't know, when you're traveling at 150, 160 miles an hour and you slap a wall, causing your tire to turn very abruptly, it's going to turn that steering wheel the same amount of abrupt, <laughs> abruptly. And it basically it took his hand clean. I mean... Not what off. did they say? Two weeks? I wasn't going to say <laughs> off, but eight, two weeks or one week did they say he was going to be out? Uh, it, I think it's, a, I mean, I think we're going to see Liam Lawson again. <laughs> I'll wrap this up. Uh, practice to finish that off. Like I said, Albon, great. All three practice sessions. Fernando, great. All three practice sessions. Pretty much every single driver came off in practice sessions at least once, whether it was P1, P2, or P3. It's just wet. Nothing, no traction whatsoever. Who struggled the cool. most? Charles Leclerc, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, I'll, don't worry, I'll give him his qualifying. Charles, <laughs> I forgot my note for turn for qualifying was very first note. Charles Leclerc can't take turn one. <laughs> Just can't do it. 
Can't figure. Uh, both Williams made it through. Ocon was the big surprise out at 17th, out in Q1. P- Q2, both Williams made it through again going into Q3, which makes Logan Sargent the first American to crest the top 10 in qualifying since 1993. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. So Q2 ends with Hamilton being the big surprise going out in 13th. Albon finishes in the top three again. Q3, we see Sergeant crash. Not the best move, but he made it into the top 10, so he starts 10th. We see Charles Leclerc off again for like the 800th time. And Alex Albon finishes in fourth with George Russell sneaking in that third place spot. I put the note down that George Russell was keeping, you know, Mercedes ahead of Aston Martin by qualifying third and beating out Alonzo and Stroll. And then we get around to the Grand Prix and boy, did those tables turn. Well, (laughs) (laughs) all right. That's all I got for qualifying and practice. Did you have anything you wanted to add before we break down turn one? No, let's, let me talk about the kind of the setup for this race just for a second. So going into the race, um, this could be nine in a row for Verstappen, which would tie the most consecutive wins all time with Sebastian Vettel. I believe this would also make it three Dutch Grand Prix in a row for him if he could win. Because like we talked about in our preview, he's been the only winner since this race resumed since the <laughs> 80s. And it was crazy right before they started the race too. They put up previous winners and it was Verstappen, Verstappen. Frost and Lauda, and you're like, Whoa. yeah, just gosh, we're going like three, four generations back in F1 <laughs> drivers. Um, so right before we started the race, um, a couple of the teams were talking to their drivers on the radio, and one team said rain expected in 20 minutes. That was incorrect. Another team <laughs> said rain expected in five minutes. That was more correct. Um. Zandvoort is an interesting track. So as we kind of go through some of these key moments and especially turn one, the key spot on the track is turn one because it's where the DRS zone ends, the main DRS zone for the track. It's where you have a lot of overtaking opportunities. You can go inside, you can go outside, you can carry speed through the turn unless there's rain. Um, Teams were looking at a one or two stop strategy. That changed drastically as we got into the race. And I made this note right before it stopped. Accidents at this track can be common due to the bank turns, loss of grip at speed, gravel traps, and close barriers. And I think we hit all of those throughout this race. Yeah, yeah. throw rain in there, and it's just one big hodgepodge. Yep. Okay, let's get into uh, turn one. So I have to start this off by saying there's no changes for the top seven. And the only reason why everybody got a good getaway and the changes in the top seven don't really start to take effect into more of turns three and four and going on from that. This is just the turn one breakdown. We will touch on what happens past that a little bit. But for turn one specifically, the top seven, nothing changes. Verstappen, Norris, Russell, Albon, Alonso, Sainz, and Perez. This is where things start to shake up. Leclerc passes Piastri by moving to the inside. Stroll takes advantage of a bad start by Sargent and Piastri by passing both of them. Piastri, horrible start, like I said. Gasly's going to move to the outside to pass Sargent. Hulkenberg's going to move to the inside to pass Hamilton and Sargent. Hamilton passes Sargent, but passed, but is passed by Hulkenberg means pretty much no change in his position um sergeant with the worst start i've ever seen in my life as he gets passed by the entire field <laughs> um Ocon passes joe moves to the outside botas passes sonoda and joe up the inside joe with the bad start kind of gets 
botched up there at the front, kind of doesn't get away as fast as everybody else. Lawson gets a good move, passes Sonoda up the inside because Sonoda is stuck breaking early as he goes to the outside, gets caught up in traffic. Magnuson starts from the pits, so he's got a lot of catching up to do as he's now four seconds down. Jeez. I will say a couple of things that I liked um, touching on the top seven into turn one. I really liked the visual aspect of seeing both Russell in third and Perez in seventh lock up at almost the same time as they were in the same spot of the track. And you see that white tire smoke from those two cars. Yeah. Uh, that was a cool visual. It didn't really affect the, um, the standing so much so, but Russell did get a bad jump and I'll touch on that in a second. Your note on Sergeant, you mentioned it was one of the worst starts him and Joe, right? Two of the younger guys on the track trying to make a name for themselves. They've gotten these chances in the past couple of races and they are not taking advantage of their chances. Like, dude, if you're going to start in 10th, you better be making some moves at turn one, not being slow off the line. Yeah. He moves from 10th to 14th. Joe moves from 15th to 17th. It's just, even Sonoda lost a position. I mean, just, it wasn't, it seems like if you're going to make a mark for yourself, if you're going to make a name and these young guys like Joe and Logan Sargent, who definitely need to make a name so that they can get maybe the call up to one of the bigger teams, you're not going to get a call doing stuff like that. No, nope. you have to have to get off the line, especially if you're starting in 10th and you never, ever start in 10th. You need to capitalize on that. Okay, coming out of turn one into turns two and three, Russell, with his lockup into turn one, put himself in a bad spot track-wise, and maybe his tire was a little bit overheated or maybe he gave it a flat spot. He was running slow right in the middle of the track. So you have old Fernando Alonso taking full <laughs> advantage of this, die-bombing the inside corner on turn three. You have Albon trying to make a move on the outside, but he's not as quick as Alonso, so he uh, ends up staying where he's at. Uh, but Alonso does move into third, Russell to four, and Albon to five. Um, Perez in seventh. Him and Signs had a day going back and forth at it for a while there. Uh, and then finally, <laughs> as we approach the end of lap one, we started this race completely dry. Everyone on slicks, no question about it. We're about to have a nice sunny day in Zanvoort, yada, yada. Get around to like turn 14, 15 of this track. And it is a deluge, just a downpour of rain. <laughs> like the change from the start of the race to 50 seconds later was the most change I've ever seen in a race. It was it it was almost like, have you ever seen one of those videos online where somebody's filming in front of their car looking forward and it's bright and sunny, and then they film behind them and it's just downpour? It's like they were right on the edge of this thing when the race started. The second they get off the line dry, dry through every single turn until the last couple turns. And then all of a sudden, the entire straight that they all started on completely dry, drenched. And when it was a pool out there. In, in some of the circuits like, like Silverstone or Spa, some of the ones that are like expansive and go really far out from the start line and all that, you might hear, oh, there's rain at turn 13 or whatever. Circuit Zandvoort is very compact. And so if there's rain in one area of the track, there's rain in all the areas of the track. <laughs> and so the whole track was underwater in a matter of minutes. And that led to some crazy lap one through seven-ish chaos, I want to say, um, until um, things had finally died down. Okay, anything left for the uh, the first couple of turns or do you want to dive into some key moments? 
let's do the chemo. Actually, you know what? I do have one point I do want to make. I want to touch on that one more time. You said that the first six laps were crazy. This Nobody knew what strategy to do. Nobody yeah. knew at all what they were going to do. Some people were pitting. Some people were staying out. And then those that didn't pit, you would think would, would have pit the very next lap. No, some people even passed that stayed out. Alex Albon stayed out. Land, uh, Lando Norris stayed out. And, I mean, obviously that was not the best cause. We see Perez climbing up the field with those inners on. But, yikes. I mean, I, I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, you're faced with rain, and it's a decision that comes, oh, hey, five minutes before the race. And I think the craziest thing, so so obviously lap one had the rain. <clears throat> lap two, you had half the teams come in, half the teams stay out. Lap three, you had the other half come in and change. And so they're like the positions of the races were completely unknown. You didn't know who was where because you didn't know how many more pit stops they needed. And it was insane. And about 11 is when the teams had settled on whether they were staying on their enters or if they were going back to slicks. And then just five laps later, you have Logan Sargent going into a wall <laughs> and bringing out a safety car on lap 16. And then the chaos is right back to where it was. Okay, well, <laughs> Is the rain coming back? Do we stay on these slicks? Do we get new? We just changed the slicks. Do I need to get new ones? Like there was, there was a good 50 laps in this race of only 70 something laps where you didn't really know the true order of the race or where it was going to finish. A driver could be in 19th, but really be in seventh. And a driver could be in seventh and really be in 20th. And you had no idea. You didn't even know what was the fastest tire at some points because it was like the intermediates were faster. And then all of a sudden the track dried up enough to where the slicks were getting better results. And it was, some people were going fast. Some people were going slow. And then one lap later, those intervals would be reversed. They would be going slow and they'd be going fast. I mean, you had no idea what to do. And then at one point, everybody's on enters except for Esteban Ocon, who's on wets. <laughs> He's on full, but that ended up being the best strategy. And if it wasn't for that red flag, he would have dominated that next couple series of laps. It's just the craziness of F1 and why I love these races. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into five key things that you might have missed that had a significant impact on the race. I'm going to cheat a little bit this week because I've got five big moments, but I've also got some honorable mentions that didn't necessarily play out, but had they of like had the race not had red flags at the end or whatever, they would have had a bigger impact. Okay, number one. Fernando Alonso getting to third on lap one. We covered that coming out of the turn one that Jeremiah went through into turns three, passing um, Albon and Russell. That set him up for the podium finish that he got. It was a great, great move. I mean, he capitalized right off the jump, takes two spots from top drivers, dude. And he was just kind of hiding the back, hiding right behind the leaders for pretty much the entirety of the rest of the race. It was beautiful. He ran, not a strategy, but he ran a different race style than like Lando or Lewis did. So the mentality that Alonzo went with was, I'm going to jump up as fast as possible. And once he got into that top three, he just had to mimic the tire strategies of the people around him to hold place. Whereas Russell and Norris and Hamilton found their way working down the, the pack every single time they made a decision. And they were always having to fight back to get back to the points and it was just a constant struggle whereas Alonzo made it to third on lap one and just had to mock like had to mimic the Red Bulls and he was good I want to say the announcers even I can't remember if it was Crofty or Brundle but one of them um, they even mentioned that exact thing basically saying that they knew that the rain was coming they knew that the tire change was coming to intermediates or wet so therefore Fernando was on a mission to just burn out those tires yeah make moves, die bomb corner. Like it was a little bit dangerous. The move that he made on Russell, he did a last. Oh yeah. And... Okay. Number two, uh, 
Verstappen boxes for dries before the race leader and his teammate Sergio Perez does, and Verstappen ends up taking the lead on lap 13. Jeremiah, do you remember the radio call that Mr. Perez made? <laughs> he goes, did Max Hunter cut us? <laughs> Engineer says, yeah, yeah, he did. It's like, yeah, of course. Why would you not think he was going to undercut us? It's not like you were leading the race and should have had preferential treatment or anything. So, you know, they mentioned that. And I think it was actually, was it Birdie uh, Collins, one of the kind of track reporters that was like, oh, the leader would normally have preferential, you know, yeah. treatment and they could decide how to do it. That's just not how it works anymore. Like the race leader, if they're number two on the team and this is Max's home race and he's going for nine wins in a row and he's leading the team, he's getting preferential treatment. Sorry. Like he just is. I mean, if you're Sergio, if you're Sergio, you try to beat out the undercut, you try to cook and he didn't, he got clearly beat by Max on the undercut. Yeah, It's one of those things where, I mean, you kind of have to expect it. It's what, what what was it? His ninth consecutive win today. Yeah, and that ties the record. On top of that, it was his home Grand Prix. On top of that, he is leading everything in the drivers. And I mean, I can see why they gave it to them to him. I just feel like that probably wasn't the best decision, especially of, when you have to worry about Sergio's confidence right now. Yeah, one of five home Grand Prix. I mentioned this in the last one, but I actually <laughs> forgot to. I actually forgot to go back to it. Max's home Grand Prix, real quick side note, could be considered the Dutch Grand Prix. Uh, Spa, because one of his parents was born in Belgium. Uh, Austria, because that's where the uh, like Red Bull, the company is based out of. Silverstone, because that's where the actual Red Bull factory was. <laughs> and what was the fifth one? There was a fifth Monaco. one. Monaco. Monaco, because that's where he lives now. <laughs> because that's where his apartment is. <laughs> Five home Grand Prix for Max Verstappen. Oh, man. Okay, um, next on the list. This is a, a little bit of a combo. Russell and Norris got lost early in the confusion, and they both struggled to work their way up the pack. But there's something that differentiated the two, and that was their tire strategy after lap 16. George Russell and Mercedes, I don't know if George Russell had much of a say in this, Mercedes decided to put George on full hards on lap 16 under the safety car, which were to carry him the rest of the 55 laps until the end. Lando Norris ran a much more conservative tire strategy, changing a few more times, especially changing on lap 63, which was very late, but ultimately put him at, uh, where was he? Um, seventh in the points or so. Yeah. So just a huge decision early on in the race by Norris, uh, in the McLaren and Russell and Mercedes that had two very different results. I don't know that. Mercedes putting George on hards was the worst call. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, it paid it played out pretty gorgeously all the way up until he started having problems there at the end. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, while everybody else was pitting and trying to warm those tires up and trying to pass people, he was sitting in like sixth or seventh or something. I think he like got. That. I think he got up to seventh. Yeah, and he start. I mean, after the horrible start that he had because of everything that went wrong and him ending up all the way at the back, that's pretty bad. Yeah, just punctured that tire that had been going for a really long time, didn't he? Well, Maybe if that was a nice a new tire. softer medium tire, it wouldn't have punctured so easy. That's why you don't take a tire 50-something laps. <laughs> kind of cooked at that point. Yeah. Um. So there was that one. 
Okay, we have, let's see, two more. Alonzo, okay, he's had two of the moments. He's stuck to Sergio Perez on the safety car restart, worked his way into the DRS zone, and basically just kept himself in the race. Like we mentioned from his, his first bullet point, which was taking third on lap one, he just kept up with the Red Bulls. Like, whatever he did was just keep up with these guys, and I'm going to get a podium. I don't think it came to a point to where I don't think he was worried anymore about Ferrari or Mercedes or honestly, even McLaren, just because of the fact that they kind of took themselves out of the race early on. Yep. They were back there fighting with Liam Lawson and Nico Hulkenberg and Lance Stroll. <laughs> <laughs> they were hey, not like, Danny Ricardo though. Not Danny Ricardo, Liam Lawson. Uh, <laughs> but that track is so congested. It's not wide open. You can't do high flying overtakes like you can in some of the other tracks. And so once you're kind of stuck behind a train of cars, you maybe get one overtaking chance a lap, maybe, you know, if you're lucky. So that was huge for him just to stick with Sergio Perez. And as we approach the end of the race, Sergio gets slapped with a five-second penalty, gets bumped down to fourth, and you have Alonzo in second, even though he had already made that pass because of Sergio's uh, extremely long pit stop, which is actually number five on this list. (laughs) (laughs) So number five ties right back into number four. Sergio Perez had a 10 plus second pit stop on lap 61. This bothered me so much just for the sheer and simple fact that he had timed it perfectly. If he had gotten off those tires and gotten back out there with one of his normal 2.2 or heck, even one of the record breaking ones that he has where it's below two seconds or whatever it was, or I think it was 2.0 something. Regardless, if he had had one of those pit stops, he probably could have had a chance of coming out ahead of Max and having a good lead, I want to say, or even some kind of advantage over what he had been presently. Yeah. There was so much that got messed up. His pit stop strategy just, I'm going to blame Red Bull on this, not Sergio, because, you know, the 10 second pit, okay, horrible, whatever, didn't have the tires figured out. But then he also pits right as the red flag is triggered, and he got very lucky with that only putting him in third and not being like sixth or seventh. They had him at sixth or seventh. Up until they made that switch to call it uh, to the lap before, right before that incident or right after that incident of his happened and he came back in behind Fernando, they had him at sixth or seventh. I can't remember what it was, but if that would have completely changed the outcome of this race, I mean, everybody would have had more points. And I mean, what is the second place standings? Uh, I guess he still would have had that by quite a bit, but. Well, whenever he, so I was sitting on my couch watching this and whenever he pit, it said, you know, Perez in the pits next to his little time thing. And then that red flag popped up and I went, no and i like jumped off the couch and i was like no dude it was it was wild too because he they came in changed his tires he gets going again heading towards the uh the exit it's green it's green it's green like seconds before he reaches the light boom red and he has to slam on the brakes i was like oh come on at least they like i said at least they went back to where it was i'm sure some of the drivers weren't too happy with that you know just knowing how that works we've talked about it before with some historical races that went back to previous lap times to determine results and some really like that and some really don't (laughs) so okay there's the five key things that you missed i have a couple honorable mentions for you one leclerc and i know you'll probably talk about this a little more his first lap pit stop took like 40 seconds they didn't even have the tires out there didn't have the tires and then his second pit stop he had to have a wing change that they probably should have caught earlier than they did and not have to have carlos tell him about it yeah 
on lap 26, the dude got passed like a hundred times. There's <laughs> not even that many drivers on the track. What a horrible day for Charles. He's back there battling with Liam Lawson, just trying to give it everything he's got. Ferrari comes on and they're like, hey man, this issue is not getting any better. We got to call it. <laughs> uh, I also put, uh, I made this note during the race. Will Joe being in third early on due to the pit stop chaos work out? Because I was like, man, Joe could really kind of redeem himself from that fourth place start that he had a few weeks ago and, and maybe get some solid points here. And then he slides off the track and flies into a wall, much like his Silverstone incident. And uh, he's, uh, he's out of the race. That one didn't pay off. No. Uh, I had Will Albon and Piastri staying on slicks for the start pay off. Um, maybe, maybe. It's hard to tell. Um, cause they both finished eight and nine. So I think their strategies worked out evenly, but I don't know if that's just naturally where they would have fell if they had right. followed the pit stop strategy of everybody else changing to, to enters earlier, or if that was a mistake and they could have finished higher. I don't know. I mean, it's not like they finished bad in the points, but I, I know this is one that you're big on. And this is the last one before we get into the race results and our winners and losers, uh, Lando Lewis and Oscar just had a day yeah the second that the whole race i mean the rain scenario happened and everybody had all this confusion they got sucked to the back of the grid and they stayed in this little pattern of lando lewis and piastri and they carved back up through the grid together it was like lando would pass somebody and then eventually lewis would catch them pass them and then piastri would pass them and then it was back to those three in concession again and finally, I think nearing the end, I want to say like three-fourths through the race, Lewis finally got a run at Norris, and then those two pretty much battled it out for the rest of the race. But that was awesome to see those three just carving through the pack together. There was that battle, and then there was the, um, was it Signs and Gasly? And Signs just could not yeah. get around Pierre Gasly. <laughs> I don't, I, I guess it was just defensive mastermind driving there for some reason. But yeah, Signs was definitely struggling back there. This was this was a really good race for for fans to watch. It was a little long with the safety cars and the red flag. I skipped through that, you know, because we're watching on delay. Uh, but I mean, just the chaos of the rain and the not knowing where anybody is and the constant position changing and the really good battles for position. I, I liked almost everything about this race. There might have been somewhere between 10 and 20 laps through of this entire 71 lap race that weren't interesting that didn't have action that wasn't exciting to watch the entirety of the race besides those 15 20 10 whatever laps just awesome to watch man it was good racing i i don't know how to find this it's got to be listed somewhere but i'd be curious how many total position changes there were not like overtakes but like with people in the pit and in Ooh. and out of the pit it's got to be hundreds <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those we I wanted to cover I don't remember if we covered this or if it was a thought that I wanted to cover in one of our videos, but there was a race in the past that had the same thing. It has the record for the most overtakes and when you watch uh, it it's just Hang on. With 186 overtakes, the race set the record for the most overtakes in a single race. I was just about to talk about the the race the I guess the previous record holder. Previous record holder. Wow. We just got to witness a record. Yeah, and I could easily see how it was. I believe it. Chaos. I believe it. Okay, so your race finishes, and I'm going to give the actual um, like points finishing order, not the finishing order, because there's one caveat in here. You have 
Max Verstappen, Alonzo, Gasly, Perez, Sainz, Hamilton, Norris, Albon, Piastri, and Esteban Ocon sneaking into the top 10. The caveat is that Sergio Perez actually finished third, but got slapped with his little five-second time penalty for his pit stop violation and moves down to fourth behind Pierre Gasly. Pit stop violation. You mean slapping a wall and speeding? <laughs> Sounds like a drunk driver leaving a bar. (laughs) Oh, he just couldn't get slowed down enough. Slaps that wall. And then because he slapped that wall, he didn't get to slow. He he wasn't steady on the brakes. Didn't get slowed down enough. And I think what they calculated it out as was he broke the speed limit by half of a mile per hour. Oh, yeah. It's not like when you're going down the highway and you're like, oh, they'll give me three or four miles an hour over. No, speed limit's like, I don't know, 60, 50, 40, whatever it is. And he was going half a mile per hour under that. Man. Okay, some winners and losers. Uh, Jeremiah, I will give mine. You give yours. Uh, I have four winners. They might overlap with yours. That's okay. Max, that's nine in a row. Three Dutch GPs in a row. The Dude, this whole season is a big win for Max Verstappen. I mean, <laughs> man. Number two, Fernando Alonso. Been struggling a little bit. The Aston Martin team has been not where they were for the first eight or so races of the year, seven or so races of the year. Good to see him get back, get a second place finish, and have a really good strategic day, I think. There was no errors on his part or the Aston Martin's team from his race seat. Number three, Pierre Gasly. It seems like once a year he has a really good race. (laughs) And that's kind of his thing. Okay. (laughs) Uh. And then finally, Alex Albon. I think this guy is making a very good case to race for a better team. He has a little bit of inconsistency. He'll slap a wall on you. He'll you know, start high and finish low. But the dude is a speed demon. And he's showing that he can get some results every once in a while. He's, he's doing what we want to see out of Logan Sargent and Zhou Guan Yu. He's doing it. Yeah. Let me let me hit my winners before you dive into losers, and we'll just kind of have them both listed. Did you say Fernando Alonso as a winner, by the way? Yeah. Okay, so the four names that you said, I have the exact four names. <laughs> uh, let me rephrase that. I've got one winner and 19 losers. Let me just know. <laughs> Max Verstappen. Um, yeah, I got Max Verstappen for the obvious reasons. The three Dutch championships, or the three Dutch wins now, this nine consecutive wins, the everything, man. I mean, he's like, I want to say, what is the points total? If you took, mm, not exactly. I was going to say if you took the person in second and doubled their points. but Not quite. Almost. If you take the person in third and double their points. Hey, you know who didn't win nine in a row? Alberto Ascari. Because they only raced like six races. (laughs) Okay. Um, I have Max for the obvious reasons. Alex Albon, great qualifying, great practices, and great recovery drive. He obviously got sucked to the back because he stayed on slicks and everybody else pit, but fought his way back up to eighth. I wanted to touch on this because you said this and because you said it, I'm going to go ahead and dive even further into it. Yes, he absolutely should be getting a drive for a better team. I've been saying this since the beginning of the year because of how well he did last year. And the fact that he's just proving it again for the second time and doing better just makes the case even more. He was young. He was scared of that Red Bull when he had the opportunity. He wasn't ready. I'm telling you now, he is. Yeah, I agree. He wasn't ready. We've talked about this before. He wasn't ready for the Red Bull car at the time. He wasn't ready to be a top team driver. 
Yeah. But could he be a, a midfield, an upper midfield driver, like an Alpine? Yep, yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, if Pierre Gasly can do it, Alex Albon can do it. I mean, I would say another team higher than Alpine, but he's not taking a McLaren seat. He's not taking a Ferrari seat. He's not taking a – their Red Bull's not going to bring him back. So it's kind yeah, of tough gonna, to say much higher than Alpine right now. They're going to drop Oscar Piastri. <laughs> no. Uh, but, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, Williams is even a decent team right now, mainly because of him, but Alpine would be the next clear step up, I think. All the other teams under Alpine are pretty much all tied for the same position. Yeah. Uh, as far as my winners keep going, Fernando Alonso, I have him. We we already touched on this. Stayed with the leaders the entire race and capitalized at the end. It was a masterclass by Fernando Alonso today. And in a in a scenario where he hasn't been finishing on the podium, even though he started the season finishing on the podium every single race, we were starting to get a little worried about how that Aston Martin was doing in comparison to everybody else. We don't know 100% because the race wasn't dry, but he definitely took advantage of the wet, and you can't take anything away from him on that. I have Pierre Gasly also started 12th, finished 3rd. I mean, what more can you say in the in the Alpine? And especially in if you look at Pierre Gasly's last few races, I think his highest he's finished is like 10th or 9th. And he's had DNFs. He's had finished 13th out of the points, out of the points, out of the... So to see him up there, that warms the heart, man. Yeah, his highest finish this year has been 7th in uh, Monaco before this. Yeah, and I want to say if you look at his last three races, he's got two non-points finishes. Uh, Yes, three. He went 18, retired, and 11th. Just missed it. Well, that's not the case this time. Yeah, every year, like I said, it seems like he has a good drive. So this year he got third. Last year in Azerbaijan, he got fifth. The year before that, he got another third. The year before that, he got his win um, at uh, either Monza or Imola, one of the two. So he's, I think he's just a perpetual midfield driver. Maybe. We, I mean, until we could see him in another scenario, that's all we've got to go off of. I saw him at Red Bull, dude. <laughs> Again, another scenario like Alex Albon. But I don't think he wasn't as inexperienced as Albon was. I think Pierre had it had a true shot and blew it. Yeah, that was tough because the very next year he goes back to AlphaTauri and destroys at AlphaTauri. <laughs> it's like all the pressure was off and he was able to drive like he could drive. All right, you ready for some losers and we'll wrap this thing up? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, loser number one. I'm sorry, man. Joe Guan Yu. Uh the dude was running in third. He might've even gotten higher than third with the pit stops for a little bit. I can't remember. And then he crashes. And it's like, if you're like we said for weeks and weeks, if you're going to find yourself in a crazy good situation, starting in fourth on the grid up in third, like legitimately, like he wasn't like, Oh, it might be third, but he's really in 12. No, he was legitimately running third pit stop wise in that race. And he flies off the track. Joe, Joe Guan Yu. You yeah. got to keep it on the track, man. Even if you give up a spot, slowing down in a turn, fourth is a whole lot better than being out of the race. Yeah, that was that was what last race that he qualified in fourth or something ridiculously Hunger, high, yeah. and then just yeah, again here again same scenario DNF, just not a good look for Joe Guanyu. George Russell early on he was questioning his team. He said, "How did we mess this up so much?" I was forecasted to get a podium, and then he found himself in like nineteenth and. He had worked his way back up to seventh. 
on his really old tires and then he hits uh lando maybe and punctures it and he drops back he thought we thought he was retired remember he came on and said i'm out limps into the pit stop i guess they threw a new set of tires on he goes back out there he finishes essentially dead last in 17th not what you want when you start third in a mercedes I had a real problem with this radio call. The fact that he said I was forecasted a podium. I'm sorry. You're not forecasted anything and you better go earn it. So get off the mic, stop whining and go drive. Jeremiah's throwing a work ethic problem at George Russell. <laughs> well, don't come whining, you know dude. You're not, you're not projected anything. You're not forecasted anything. You're not promised anything. We haven't looked into this, but similar to when he did his radio call, he said, guys, I'm out. And then the team puts a new set of tires on. He goes back out like, dude, just gave up that easy. Okay. That's what I'm saying, dude. I don't, I didn't like that. It was a bad look for George. He's lost his role as Mr. Consistency. That's another thing that he had that he doesn't have anymore. So it's a little bit interesting how that's working out. Agreed. Next loser, uh, the entire Aston Martin team. Now I know we gave Fernando a win. Hang on, hang on. They are so not catching up to Mercedes anymore in the standings. They've been passed thoroughly. They might be beaten by Ferrari when this thing is all said and done. So how does them not being where they were in the standings for the entire year make them a loser for to the race? Because where did Lance race? Stroll start? Lance Stroll is irrelevant. He has been in every single race for this season. Started 11th, finished 11th. He made no progress in the chaos in a top four or five car. I just, I, I gotta say, if you're going to say a loser for this one, it has to be Lance Stroll. You can't no, call Fernando a loser. It's the team because Lance Stroll, his standings don't matter in this case. Aston Martin, who's fighting to be the second constructor, very much so matters. And the fact that they have one driver getting second and another driver getting no points consistently, the team loses. If that's the case, they're a loser for every single race until they fire Lance Stroll. Okay, then I'll keep that on this list for every single race. <laughs> okay, last one. This one's a little bit off the wall. Nick DeVries is a loser. Um, so Nick, so Nick DeVries, you're the driver for AlphaTauri, and you get cut. And you're not just like removed to reserve driver or test driver. No, you are thoroughly cut. So much so that when the driver breaks his hand, they bring in some dude that no one's ever heard of from F2, Liam Lawson, to drive your car that you drove for half the year. Loser. He doesn't even race, man. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> Just complete garbage from Nick DeVries. Jeez. That's got to be the biggest kick in the teeth is the fact that he oh, drove God. that car for a half a year, not really wrecking it or crashing it, just not getting results. And he's not the first one back in it when the guy breaks his hand. <laughs> Gosh. Their losers are harsh for this race. <laughs> All right. Did you have any losers? <laughs> I've got two. You didn't name either one of them, so that's good. That's I'm gonna spend losers. more time on one than the other, so I'll I'll mention the latter first. Okay. Logan Sargent is my first loser of the day. Yeah. Great practice sessions, awesome qualifying, crashed in the race. Dude, you cannot do that. You just can't. If you're gonna qualify 10th, you have to at least finish in the top 13, but you should finish in the top 10. He had an awesome opportunity and he completely wasted it. I understand it was wet. I understand. But dude, you wreck out on almost every single race. Like yeah, I'm you getting gotta tired go of it. You got to go slower. I'm getting tired of it. Just, I'm trying I mean, just to be... like, just like we talked about with Joe, take a turn slower. If that's a dangerous turn, you've you, they've done these races in simulators in the rain. You know where your hot spots are. 
drive defensively, drive slower, stay on the track. That's it. That's the name of the game. You cross the finish line and then you get points. That's how it goes. If you don't get points, and if you don't cross the finish line. It's not even like it was some late race heroics. It was lap 16. It'd be yeah, better if he was I, die bombing a corner and hit a guy, like trying to make a move to get points at the end. No. It's one of those, I have a lot of, I feel for the guy. I do. But it's one of those things where if you're going to be the representation of America and all of the American fan base, dude, finish the race. He needs to fully embrace Ricky Bobby. We need to get a Fig Newton sticker plastered across his visor. We need to get a Puma logo on his car. Hold up a sign that says, help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> all right, uh, who's, all who's right. your last one, your big one? My last loser, and this is the one that I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes bashing. Oh, no. Not really. <laughs> got to edit some stuff out. Charles Leclerc. Dude, you are a loser today. You, had, you went off in practice sessions that I counted alone four times. That's all that I counted, and I skipped ahead. I mean – qualifying you went off five times that's 11 times in the or nine times in the race hasn't even started that's just what i counted then the race starts you go a little bit off here recorrect you go a little bit off here recorrect go a little bit off here destroy your floorboard you're done for the race you now get passed by back markers until you finally give up and the team calls the car in that was a horrible pathetic race and I, I, you can't even blame it on Ferrari. Carlos Sainz finished the race. He didn't get any penalties, didn't go flying off the track and ruin the car. You can't blame that on Charles. That was, I mean, on Carlos, that was just bad driving by Charles Leclerc. The funny thing about Leclerc was that when he drove over the curb and through the gravel trap and all that, he was on enters. <laughs> like that was, that's, the, a, that's, a that was the point of the race where like the teams were debating slicks or enters, right? And there was a clear grip advantage for the team on enters. And yet he's the one flying off. The that's, that's another problem that I had is those nine times that he went off and practice and qualifying. I had mentioned all of those were on enters as well, except for maybe one or two on slicks. The dude had no control over his car. He went off in turn one in the practice sessions, like five times alone, just turn one. It seems like every single time he would go and try and get a lap time so that they could see what the car is going to do. It's like, all right, here we go. We're at the end of the straight and turn one right off the end. And then this whole, tr this whole lap is abandoned. Have to go around again, goes around again, goes off to turn one, abandon the lap, go around again. This happened three times in a row for three straight laps. I watched this. This was a horrible, horrible weekend for Charles Leclerc. I agree. And I do question if that car setup is just poor, which is the team thing. But if you're the driver driving the car and you know it has a poor setup, you need to figure out how to drive it. And I'll refer to every driver that was running on slicks on laps two and three of the Dutch Grand Prix. They were going so slow because they knew the limits of their car. And I wonder if... Charles saw the standings or maybe his team told him what was happening, but they said, hey, Sergio just went from last to first on enters in a matter of like 55 seconds. And Charles thinks, I can do that. No, you can't. You don't nope. have that Red Bull car. <laughs> you need to do what your car can do on enters, which is not pushing it as much as they can. I just, I don't understand it. I really don't. It's not like he doesn't know the car. He's been driving it all of this year and it's not that far off from last year's car. 
It's not, he, I, I don't know why he could think he was driving the Red Bull. I mean, geez, he's been staring at the back of the Red Bull every single race for the entire season. Then you're going to go out there and try and drive like them. That's not going to happen. Okay. Can you this week give a, a regular call to our audience for a, a question? Cause I kind of have one that I want to ask. Oh, you want to do the funny one. All right. Guys, if you noticed anything else from the race, if there's anything that might have stood out that we just did not hit on, please let us know down below. We can touch on it in a short, maybe even mention it in one of the weekly episodes. Let us know. Guys, if you think Liam Lawson is going to overcome the 339-point deficit to Max Verstappen before the end of the season, let us know. We want your thoughts. I'm here for you. I stand with them. All right, guys. We'll see you. Bye, guys.